0: This is episode 396 of the AWS podcast, released on October 6th, 2020. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. I'm Sam Alicia, and this is our special series on some of the changes that have happened to the well-architected framework. Now, We've talked about well-architected on the podcast many times. We've talked about the Kaizen process that was used to improve the framework regularly and small changes that were made along the way and the new tool that was released. But the changes that were made on July 10th, 2020 were large enough for us to want to notify users that a new quote-unquote version of the framework is available. And so we're going to dive deep on what the changes were some of the themes that were common and talk about what it means to customers. And to do this, I, of course, am joined by the sensational Rodney Lester. And Rodney is a Principal Solution Architect who leads AWS Well-Architected. And he has decades of experience of building and operating secure, highly available, high-performance, cost-effective systems and the nice thing is he's been involved with this program since it started humbly as a wiki page back in 2012. And he joined the Well-Architected team as the reliability pillar lead back in 2017. Welcome back to the podcast, Rodney. Thanks, Simon. It's good to be here. It's good to have you here. Now, let's start from the start. AWS Well-Architected Framework. Yeah, so it was conceived internally
0: in 2012 and was led by uh, NSA out of the UK, Philip Fitzsimmons, who all of us here locally will always refer to as fits. Uh, and he's related the story in a couple of previous podcasts. And I, so I think if people do a search, they can find them. Uh, but I was part of that initial team. We, we basically all got together and, and participated in the Kaizen process, where we spent a few days in a room, not really locked into the room, but uh, <laughs> you, nonetheless. You were
1: allowed to leave at certain points. <laughs> yeah, we were allowed to leave. So we've
0: had several Kaizens. We typically have a big one once a year to kind of develop what the new Framework is going to look like it's it's intended to be a fairly significant change. We have often minor changes over the course of the year. They're not really scheduled. It's it's more customer makes an observation and we decide it's an improvement that can be made that should be made and we'll release new version of the white paper. In the case with tool, we actually would update content and show up on the and what wasn't really noticed. When we would release big ones a year, the white papers would get updated, and you'd see an actual date revision, and we'd talk a little bit about what the changes we had made. The biggest change really is the the fact that we've made a change within the tool. So the, just to give you an idea of what the framework consists of, once again, to remind everyone, it really consists of three main components. Design principles, which are really a ways of thinking about how you deploy things onto AWS. The pillars themselves, of which there are five. We have operational excellence security reliability performance efficiency and cost optimization and then under each one of those we have questions and best practices which are organized by focus area on top of that there is six well architected lenses which are focused on either technology industry or problem area we have serverless hpc iot machine learning financial services and analytics they have a very similar type of content but it's specific to those aspects or technologies
1: yeah, it helps us helps us dive deep on on particular areas and and domains.
0: Yeah. And we we actually see a lot of growth in that area too. So I think that you can look forward to seeing more of those.
1: Absolutely. So the changes that we're going to talk about, why should customers care about that? What does it mean to them?
0: Well, I think most importantly, it should assure customers we're actually listening to them. And we change those based upon how our customers are achieving success. I think one of the main differences between AWS Well-Architected and some of best practice frameworks that are often championed by people is that we base ours upon what customers are actually doing and not just suggested best practices.
1: So it's not theory.
0: Not theory. And 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 the real idea is that a lot of these things are trade-offs. Some of the basic ones and obvious ones are cost versus reliability. People make these choices all the time. What this framework enables you to do is actually make an informed trade-off so that you know what risk you're taking versus what you want to actually accomplish as a business. So if you're trying for higher reliability, for instance, it's probably gonna jeopardize your aggressive costs. The other thing that's really, I think, important about the Well-Architected Framework is we constantly tell people that it should be viewed as a continuous improvement project. In other words, don't do it just once. We really advise people to do a review as soon as they've got an idea of what they wanna do. So a design or a land workflow. workload. You should also re-review it I've been in this business long enough. The joke is you get uh, 90% of your functionality done and 50% of the time, and the other 90% takes the other 50%. <laughs> of the time. But really, when you get to that 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 point where you've got most of your functionality, you should take a look and see if you've compromised something that you didn't want. And then, by all means, uh, it really can assist you in in a pre-launch checklist. One of the things I think is important to realize is that modern business is not static. One of the reasons people move to the cloud is to enable agility and to be able to deploy things much faster. And it is a best practice but small incremental changes add up to large change over the time. While many companies have policies about re-reviewing architectures on large changes, they sometimes forget those small changes add up to a large change. And so we'd like our customers to go back and take a look. You know, When was the last time they actually visited the Well-Architected tool and looked at their architecture and saw whether they may have actually compromised away a risk that they didn't wish to compromise.
1: And that's the thing, that the risk of making changes in small steps is much lower than making big bang changes. So that that's a really important thing. So Rodney, let's talk about some of the changes that were released. And, and what were the themes of what everyone was thinking about and what can customers expect? One of the themes was actually a
0: joke we read on Twitter. <laughs> it was something along the lines of... Everything ends with in accordance with the requirements to your business. Clink. The, one of the <laughs> pillar leads in particular was a little hurt by that comment. So we really made an effort to make the best practices easier to understand in this version while still emphasizing the requirements are driven by your business. So aside from just the general clarity and making it so that it was easier for our customers to understand, we actually added question and best practice areas to three of the pillars. So in operational excellence, we added an organization section. And reliability, it's a whole section on workload architecture, cost optimization. And I think this is actually one of the things that's really important at this time is an area of practicing cloud financial management. And these are either calling out best practices that we previously, discussed in like the white papers, but didn't explicitly call out as best practices or just kind of overarching themes that our customers weren't really getting. So we've explicitly called them out so that they could see them and understand them.
1: And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through at at a high level, some of the thematic changes in each pillar, and there'll be an episode on each pillar. So you better dive deep as part of this special series. So it's much easier to be detailed than brief. So I've given Rodney the hard job So Rodney, let's talk about the changes in the the operational excellence pillar. What are some of the the key things we should look for there?
0: Yeah, so there was actually a a fairly big change around uh, the organization itself. The question is, how does your organizational culture support your business outcomes? And Brian Carlson, who's our lead for operational excellence, really engaged with customers over the course of the past couple of years. I don't know how many engagements he had where he actually spent time with customers that he identified the need for this. The industry has really moved to realizing that the operational part of their technology organization needs to be supported to continue to learn and improve. It was often something that was regarded as only important for development end of things to make sure that you stayed on the cutting edge of quote unquote technology, but the operations piece was often neglected. Now we definitely see that organizations are realizing that's not true their, and they're and so this is a, an important thing to change. One of the Other key changes was changing the words, specifically root cause analysis to post incident analysis. That really reflects the fact that, you know, internally, we've said this for a long time. We have a correction of error process. We don't call it a root cause analysis. And one of the reasons is is almost everything has more than one cause. When you start digging deep into why something happened.
1: Things are complicated.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You just don't find one thing. So this removes the expectation that you're going to find one thing, right? And opens people's minds up to the idea that you're going to have multiple things that you should improve and allow you to actually embrace that.
1: And let's talk security. Security, absolutely critical in everything that everyone does. What's changed in that pillar?
0: Right, so security actually has a fairly significant change that I think may catch some people by surprise. It's really around identity and access management best practices. For the last eight years, we've been emphasizing you have to have a good identity foundation, but we were basically saying that it was okay to to allocate individual IAM users and groups. And we're basically saying that isn't anymore. You should really have a centralized identity provider and use that identity provider. And more importantly, the vast majority of our customers do this. So that's, that's why we've made that change. It is truly a best practice of all best practices. And we are now officially, ignored. on top of that, it's, it applies to both human and programmatic access. So having that centralized identity and temporary credentials is important, not just for humans, but for programmatic access. And in the past, a lot of companies would treat them in different manners where they would have these very, Aggressive policies for changing human access, but programmatic access could often stay static for long periods of time.
1: Yeah, and, th- and those, uh, those credentials were often uh, just as juicy, if not more so, than the quote unquote human related credentials. So, uh, definitely right. a- an important change there. So, Rodney, let's talk reliability. I know it's very close to your heart. What's changed there?
0: Yes, it was actually the reliability lead, as you introduced. So one of the great things I think that has happened is that we added an area on workload architectures and Seth Elliott's the current lead there. He's really done an outstanding job. So these workload architecture best practices are things that were mentioned in the reliability pillar paper, but they weren't explicitly called out. And there was been more than one incident that we've seen with our customers where they would have solved their problem if they'd actually implemented. So we've moved them into explicit best practices. The other thing that really has changed is the Amazon's Builders Library was released last year, which has a lot of content that's written by those principal engineers. And while I had existing relationships with them, Seth literally worked with them. And he's just maintained that relationship. And we're able to use that content as the authoritative content to tell you how to implement. There's a lot of really good integration between the various methods we're using to communicate these best practices that's now in the reliability pillar. The last thing, we've always said test your resiliency with fault detection. We've changed that to test resiliency using chaos engineering. We're seeing wide engineering which is more along the lines of if you want to think of it, the scientific method. You propose an experiment and an expected result and then you test to see if it meets it and you refine your experiment and results based upon it. And it really gives you a science for how to conduct your testing instead of just blindly injecting yeah, failures. Just hoping and, for the best.
1: <laughs> exactly. And what about performance? You know, Everyone wants things to go faster. What have we changed there?
0: So this one was one where I'd say that when I talked about the streamlining of the questions and making them clearer and more applicable, this is one of the areas where we really did that. And we hired Eric Poland about a year ago as the performance lead. And he's also a, another long-tenured Amazonian professional services, same as I did. So it still really covers, you know, basic best practice about how you select your architecture. But I think it gives much better rationale and reasons why you should continue to evolve your architectures. While that's been a best practice, I mean, you probably are aware of customers as well as I am that are still using M1 series <laughs> yeah. instances. And it's they've been out for seven or eight years. So I think that's that's really where a lot of the the positives are. And part of that evolving is, of course, evaluating the trade-offs of why you would make one architecture decision over another.
1: And the final discussion is is around cost optimization. And certainly it's a, it's a pillar that I really like because I like it when customers save money, <laughs> to put it bluntly. And um, one of my old Australian colleagues has been working on that.
0: Yes. So Nate Besh is the key person. He has really wrangled what I would call the, the mass hordes that all want to tell people what the best thing to do around cost is. And the best thing about that is that we now have a very consistent message across the company if anyone you would talk to about cost optimization or tco or anything else um, related to cost that one of the best things you can do is actually just set up some primary financial management and it's its own area with its its own best practices because it's something that is unique to you know pay as you go is you can actually manage to a budget it's not something that most teams were used to doing because In the days of capital expenditure, it was a sunk cost. And once it was spent, it it was just, yeah, you didn't didn't see it. it. And so it's a a new skill, but we really are seeing our successful customers take off with that. And as you know, the best thing about saving money for our customers allows them to do new things. We know that we enable our customers to do new things and be better businesses and grow their companies that we're just a partner to go along with.
1: Exactly. And the, the thing with cost optimization, I, I always find fascinating here at, at AWS is that the TAMs, the SAS, ProServe, they've all got really passionate opinions about cost optimization, different ways to do it. And it's a whole new engineering discipline that wasn't really available before, as you said, in that, in that sunk cost capital heavy model, where there's a, a journey to go through where first you go, wow, I can see the bill. Wow, things cost money. And then it's like, okay, well, how can I engineer this to do what I have to get done at the least possible cost. And I love that there are so many strong views on, on how to do things, but it's all about how do I do this for less? It's a, it's a really exciting, dynamic conversation. So Nathan's had his work cut out there, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. And one of the most interesting stories I'd tell about that is that we've actually seen customers that turn it into, you know, gamification, right? where they'll basically align teams against each other to see who can save the most money. And you'd be shocked at what kind of results you can get out of doing things like that.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's it's pretty cool. I've, I've seen customers where they've even had a, as one of the, you know, have it, you have the, the window display in the corner showing build status, et cetera. They're able to show hourly run cost as well just as, a, as another metric they were tracking, which is really interesting. And there's times where you may want your hourly run cost to go up because you're delivering a lot more in a shorter period of time. So it's it's not just get me to the lowest number. It's, it's a little more nuanced than
0: that. Right, right. And it need, are you getting the business value for what you're paying for is really one of the key things. A lot of times people are hyper-focused on spend. Am I spending less money? But you want to spend more money on the things that you're actually making more money on.
1: You shouldn't cut yourself off. Totally. If, if, you're, if you're making money from a transaction, you want to do more of those transactions. Exactly. <laughs> it's a little thing I like to call business. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Rodney, for giving us this overview. I mean, look, to be fair, you don't have that fine British accent that Fitz has, but you definitely have that same passion for good architecture and good outcome. Thank you for coming on and having a chat. You bet, anytime. And you can find the new version of the AWS Well-Architected tool in the AWS console or visiting the updated Well-Architected page. That's aws.amazon.com architecture slash well-architected. Everything is available there. So even if you are not an AWS user, you can still apply all those rules. They're all available to you and they are free, which is what we like. We want our customers to be the best they can be. So, thank you very much for listening. We do like to get your feedback. AWS Podcast at Amazon.com is the place to do that. And until next time, keep on building.